Hello and welcome to Life on the Spectrum. Um, my name is John Stannis. I'm here with my wife, Julie Stannis. Say hi, on. Hello. We are here to talk about our experiences living with uh, autism and special needs children and um, any help we can provide to people that have similar issues um, in general. My goal with this show is to... Uh, help share our experiences, let people know how they're not alone in what they're going through, I think, in a lot of what they're feeling. I think a lot of people think that they're the only ones feeling these things when they're going through what they go through with life when they have children or family members with special needs. And I think it's less unique than a lot of people think. I think there's a lot of shared feelings a lot of shared thoughts and emotions. And I think by talking about these things and connecting to these things, it helps everybody deal with it and cope with it better and learn about how they can manage it better. Uh, what are some of your um, hopes with this program? Similar. I hope that we can get some of our stress out by talking about the things that are stressful, talk about our successes, our challenges, um, just give people a little picture into our life, which is oftentimes very similar to everyone else's, but oftentimes just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's very, it can be very similar, but then yeah, everybody's story, and I don't mean to put people down by saying that their story isn't unique because everybody's story is a little bit unique, but I think there are a lot of similarities that we all share. Um, a little bit of backstory about us. We're a family currently living in Portland, Oregon. Uh, we just moved here from the uh, state of Wisconsin, um, which was a big step for us. We lived, I mean, we lived in Wisconsin for, I mean, I'm an old man in the age of 36, so I lived there for 35 years. Uh, my wife, about the same. So we decided to pick up our kids, move 2,000 miles, and travel to the place where there are mountains, Gandalf. And um, we have four kids. We have two girls, two boys. We have two sets of twins. So two. we have a boy-girl twin older pair that are currently 12, and we have a younger boy-girl twin that are currently 9. Both of the boys are currently diagnosed as on the spectrum of having autism. Uh, one is what I would kind of call a high to mid-functioning autistic. And then the other one is more of a lower functioning autistic. Um, I'm not sure how exactly to really communicate what that means. Because a lot of people think of autism, and we see a lot of pop culture these days, because autism is so prevalent of what that means, you think about shows like The Good Doctor, as my wife majorly rolls her eyes. Wow, I don't think you'd roll your eyes any more than that. I really hate The Good Doctor because it takes all of the uh, perceived problems or perceived habits of autism, and he puts it into every communication he has. 
And I think that's one of the major things with autism is that they have these characteristics sometimes, but they don't have them all the time. And every time I watch that show, I just find myself frustrated that his projection of an autistic person is so inaccurate. Like, it just is really frustrating. Yeah, because I think, so our more functioning son is, if you saw him in everyday life, if you talked to him, you probably wouldn't really realize that he was on the spectrum. He's a pretty, he's a normal looking kid. He's in regular everyday conversation. He can be a pretty functioning kid. You might think he's really into certain things. You're like, why are you really obsessed with that thing? But then again, that's pretty normal in a lot of, a lot of kids his age. You would think and he's kind of quirky. Quirky. That's a good way to put it. Quirky. Mm-hmm. And his autism really doesn't present itself as strongly until he gets into situations that really stress him out. And those situations can be social situations or um, situations where he doesn't, he's doing things he really doesn't want to. Or just some place where he doesn't quite understand the unspoken rules in the situation. He has a really tough time identifying with the between the line things that people say and people do and reading um, nonverbal mm-hmm. communication. Yeah. And I would say then our other son, you're going to notice it a lot faster. Um, he's got a lot more of the ticks that people could associate with autism, um, things like flapping hands and repeating you, echolalia. And then he has the added, um, I don't say issue, but he has the added complication that he has a learning disability. Like, he does not learn at the same rate as most kids. He is nine, but he currently tests or is in a grade level you'd more associate with, like, a kindergartner. Even though he's going into the fourth grade, he's not really going into the fourth grade level. I think what's interesting with autism is that people either think of Asperger's, the the genius who has some mm-hmm. real social incapabilities or disabilities, or they think of the child who doesn't talk and can't communicate anything. And really autism has much more in between that. There's they're not all boy genius who can't socialize and they're not all nonverbal and unable to live within the world. Uh, Both of our kids live in this world very much. Mm -hmm. They communicate with it. They interact with it. But it's how they communicate with it and interact with it that really feeds into their autism. Right. And it's very much that spectrum because sometimes I know you usually deal with the older one and he's pretty much dealing with any kid, but then there's times where you really see it coming out and you really see him struggling. And there's other times where the other one, the other one has more of a struggle, much more, but then there's these, these instances, these moments where he really comes through and he says some of the most profound things that really blow you away or just crack everybody up. He's a contagious, contagious laughter and just a, a personality that's so 
wonderful, but it just doesn't always come through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then we also have two daughters. I don't want to get them lost either because I think a lot of time when somebody has a special needs child or children, the quote normal ones tend to get, you know, forgotten about because they're just, you know, doing the normal kid thing. Um, so we've got the older twin daughter. She is our tomboy bookworm. She, we just recently just cut her hair. She used to have what? Shoulder length, longer hair. And she just cut it down to like two or three inches because she didn't want to take the time to brush it. But I think, I think that's given her a lot of confidence. I think that's been a big thing for her. I've seen that. I mean, they're at that point. I mean, they're both, her and her twin are, you know, they're 12 going on 13. So they're headed into that pubescent area of welcome to teenagerhood. And you can see it happening. And you can see, especially with her, the changes are coming fast and furious. Yeah. And I find myself every now and then wondering, you know, is this a normal preteen, almost teenager behavior? Or is this something that is related to autism? Is this something else? Like, it's very difficult sometimes to discern what characteristics of these personality changes belong to just normal development and what is perhaps a little less normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's definitely the mother of our children. I should say, you're the mother of our children. <laughs> she's the mother figure in our children. She's the one that makes, tries to make sure that everybody's happy. Um, while her twin will go off into his room. I mean, if we didn't kick him out of his room, he would spend hours in his room every day because he just doesn't need that real social aspect where she's the one out and about making sure that her younger brother is okay, that he's okay, that her friends she's interacting with, that they're okay. I still remember back when we did live in Wisconsin and she had many friends and she was always the negotiator. She was always the peace dealer because she would have friends that didn't want to play with each other, but they all wanted to play with her. And she was always trying to find a way that they could all get along. Yeah, she has a unique set of empathy that is unmatched in our family. She understands everyone's feelings, almost magnified at times, mm-hmm. and and puts this burden on herself to try to manage those feelings and try to keep the peace and and decide how to be inclusive with everyone, which has been great for Taylor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that his ability to um, make friends and start to interact socially has been significantly enhanced by the fact that Olivia really takes the time to make sure he's included and takes that very seriously. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to our other daughter. Yes, she is. You take the older one and you make the exact opposite. And that is her. She is the princess. She is the diva. She is usually wanting to be the center of attention. And 
she sometimes has a real problem having that same empathy. I mean, she will see people that have a problem and she doesn't have that same uh, built-in care mechanism to say, there's a problem here and I want to fix it. She's more focused on what she wants. Yeah, and it's almost to a fault with her that where we've spent some time considering, you know, where she might fall on the spectrum mm-hmm. and is her lack of empathy a signal to us that maybe she belongs there with her brother somewhere in certain situations. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting. We had a meeting when we moved to the state of uh, one of the local county workers. You know, you come to a new state and they have various care programs for, you know, support programs. And it takes a process. It's quite a long process to get all this information set up. So when we moved to Oregon, we very much as quickly as possible started working on trying to get support services for our our boys. They had pretty extensive support services in Wisconsin, which I would give it to a credit to the state. I mean, they had so much support between birth to three and early other early intervention early intervention programs, and then uh, center based care and home based care that just helped them function better, which has been a bit of an issue as we've moved here. That's one of the issues we found with the state. However, um, the process. We had this woman come, and she was there to interview our sons. And she spent, what, three, four hours, maybe more, talking about our younger daughter and how this, the behaviors that we had seen that some other people thought might be dyslexia or might be some version of ADHD is possibly not that, but possibly somewhere on the spectrum. Yeah, she was there to, um, she was a, a psych PhD therapist who was there to evaluate the autism in the boys. And the, the question came up of, you know, family history and trying to link this to other members of the family and, and see if there's any, you know, clear genetic component to it. And we got talking about Ava and Ava had been evaluated for autism the year before the person at that time had just determined that she saw more of ADHD without hyperactivity characteristics. Um, and uh, this particular county worker said, yeah, I really think you might want to have her reevaluated. Um, she spent a lot of time educating me on the differences between autism symptoms in boys and girls, which I, I knew there were some, but I didn't realize just how meticulously it was different and how they can appear to be functional when they're really not. Mm-hmm. So that was very surprising to me. Mm-hmm. And we've recently done those. We're part of a, a spark autism uh, study. And I thought it was interesting. We just got some initial results back of where our children fall on the spectrum as far as regularly or developmentally normal versus autistic. And it very much seems to fall along with the pattern we thought where our youngest boy is very much the furthest along uh, to the, the scale of the most autistic properties with his older brother leading a little bit farther back. And then 
Um, on the normal scale, our younger daughter being close, I mean, pretty close to what they would consider normal, but I wonder how much that's affected by having her on the, quote, normal population. If they were to throw her on the autistic population with the exact same responses, where would she fall? Yeah, I wondered that too. So the spark uh, results that came back were regarding communication and they had placed uh, answers that I gave them in response to a questionnaire on a graph. And for our sons who have a an official autism doc, uh, diagnosis, they placed him on a special, these are what it looks like for kids with autism. And they actually both fell above the average for kids with autism, which was interesting to me because mm-hmm. I've always thought of Taylor as more high-functioning. Um, and it didn't say that he wasn't high-functioning, just said that he was not as high-functioning as the average right. kids with autism. And then for the girls, which the the survey was exactly the same that I filled out, they plotted them on a comparative scale of communication skills for kids who were not diagnosed with autism. And for those, Olivia fell very much in the average with all the other kids, whereas Ava's communication skills were on the lower side of that. Mm-hmm. And I agree. I wonder what that would have looked like if she were plotted with other kids with autism. Mm-hmm. I very much am looking forward to seeing what other things come from that, but those... I've agree with you with where those results came out. Yeah, Spark for Autism is an amazing uh, research project that's going on in the entire country. Um, They have an online website. If you Google Spark for Autism, you'll find them. Um, They mm, took maybe five or six surveys for each of us, just questions about their communication and their social skills and their behaviors. And then we also submitted saliva samples um, for each of us. And there very much seems to be a genetic component to autism. Uh, I listened to a podcast recently that suggested there was somewhat 75 or so genes that are already linked to autism. Hmm. So this study is hoping to get 50,000 families to participate and and give samples and answer the questionnaires and then compare all that information, which seems astounding to me. Um, And that podcast that was broadcast in January of this year said that they had already had Mm 25,000. So they're halfway to their goal. And I think it's going to be really fascinating to see all the results. Then there's us. (laughs) Um. Both of us would most people consider us pretty normal functioning adults. However, there's one of us. The thing about autism is how much has changed over the years. Um, autism used to be, I think people used to thought and think of people that we now consider with autism or somewhere on the autistic spectrum as being more just weird or quirky. And these days more and more people are being diagnosed. I mean, it's 1 in 68, which is still that statistic I see bounced around, but I'm sure it's fluctuating. And as more people are aware of it, 
uh, I think that's part of the reason that's driving that number up is that more people are just like, okay, this person that in the past would have just been said, oh, they're weird or they're strange. Now they're understanding more that, well, their behaviors are because of they fall on this spectrum and who knows what causes this spectrum. So having said that, I can say that I feel like I would, if I was growing up today and I was my own kid, which was a really weird idea, um, I would possibly be on that spectrum. I don't know. Because I look back when I was a kid and I was considered a weird kid. I would, people would talk about how I would stare off, how I wouldn't communicate. I can see a lot of Taylor's behaviors that I would have the exact same kind of behaviors. I mean, spending hours in his room doing things by himself. Um, hello. Influence over here. So I could see that I've possibly been on the spectrum. Yeah, I'm on the spectrum. Because they also say that adults, maybe who haven't been diagnosed, who don't have the support services, have, even without those services, created their own adaptations to function in society. Because uh, I still struggle... I struggle with things that I think a lot of people don't struggle with. Sometimes I blame that on my gender because they talk about men not being able to read people as well or not being in touch with their emotions or not being able to communicate or understand body language. But maybe it's because I've got other extra issues that I don't know. Honestly, I can't say I've never been diagnosed, but I can definitely see the possibility of something there. Well, I think that everyone lies somewhere on yeah. this spectrum that we're talking about. And for me, the difference between someone who has autism and someone who doesn't is how they can function in life, how they can adapt to functioning in the world. Mm -hmm. So I find that everyone in the world lands on the spectrum somewhere. And I think the very bottom of the spectrum is people who are able to adapt, people who can find their niche in the world and make that functional and work and complete everyday life in a normal situation and kind of get through life. Would it be easier if we had supports for everyone? I think so. But um, I think that some people need more support. And, and I do think that this plays into why we see so many more people with anxiety disorder, for example. Mm. Uh, I'm a nurse. I work with a lot of patients and I would say probably close to 75, 80% of people have some sort of diagnosis of anxiety or depression. And I wonder if that is part of everyone trying to function in a world where there's a little spectrum here. Mm. You know, that gives me anxiety. So how do you define what level anxiety is clinical and what level is just normal? Because I think that anxiety is just a part of life. Yeah. So. But I think, well... I think me being myself, being able to identify my own anxieties and know that they're my anxieties, just being able to like think in my head about them and see them when they're coming helps me deal with them. Uh. And I tend to be a planner. So mm -hmm. when I find an anxious situation, I 
I plan it out. I think about how I want to say something. I think about how I want to communicate something. Um, I, I get really anxious in like new areas of the world. So I will do all that research. Sometimes I'll even drive to a location before I have to go there so that I've experienced being there. It's about, for me, it's about organization and planning and making sure my ducks are lined up. So, yeah, I mean, planning definitely does help make things less stressful. But I can even think about getting anxious about things that I think to most people, they will be like, how can that possibly be anxious to you? For example, I work remotely, I work from home, and to help change my environment, I get out sometimes. I'll go to a local coffee shop or something. And I've had anxiety about thinking about leaving to go to a coffee shop, thinking I'm going to annoy the people there, being like, what are they going to think of me? What are they going to think of this guy coming to their shop, you know, buying something to drink and sitting down and working for two or three hours? And I realized, well, that's idiotic to think. I mean, people do that all the time. But I've got so much, like, social anxiety about it because it's, I can't, it stresses me the heck out. And I think most people probably don't have that stress. I think they just want you to buy more. Oh, probably. If I were just to buy a bit more. Yeah. Maybe add a pastry. (laughs) Get that mint mocha. They've got a, they've got peppermint mocha at the local coffee shop. I've been tempted to buy it. It sounds really good, but I haven't gone there yet. Anyways, so we hope that people find this helpful. Um, we hope to do these on a fairly regular basis. Um, if you want to hear more about our family's journey, um, we do have a website where my wife fairly consistently blogs about our family. Um, it's at jstanis.com. Uh, her blog is Jay's World, which is pretty regularly updated. Uh, I have my own little blog over there at Something Birdie, which Something Burning, which is very much not regularly updated, which is something I should be better about. But if you'd like to find out more about our lives and what we, uh, how we deal with things and our triumphs and our failures, you can go check us out there. Um, anything else you want to say about ways people, if they want to reach out to us? Oh, we're both on Twitter. Yeah. John Stannis, that's my handle. You're JJ Stannis. Correct. Um, and otherwise, uh, you should be able to find this podcast on iTunes uh, or any other great place where you can get your regularly scheduled podcasts. Um, if you like the show right now, we don't have any plans for any ways to support it, but give us five stars, as they always say. Like and subscribe. Um, so yeah, subscribe to the show. Give us a review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like, but don't be too mean. If you are too mean, we'll just ignore you. But if you're just slightly mean, maybe we'll take what you're thinking into consideration. So yeah, let us know what you think. Um, and thanks for listening. Until uh, next week. Yeah, till next time. Bye. Bye. Smudgy, smudgy, bye-bye. Oh. <laughs>